No pressure there. Good to see all of you and uh, Happy New Year. I think it's okay to say Happy New Year, isn't it still? 12th of January, you can get away with Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, if you're new amongst us, it was your first time, thank you for coming. Really glad that you're here. You might be just looking into church full stop at the beginning of a new year or a new decade. And we are super glad that you're here with us. As Jason mentioned, we are uh, kicking off a week of prayer and fasting, as Casey mentioned, ever so helpfully just then. Let me just tell you how that's going to look. So a little bit of kind of... Uh, well, not just housekeeping, a bit of envisioning housekeeping, I trust. We've done this now for about five years, twice a year. We take a particular, we take time out to really press into God in quite a, a unique way in prayer and in fasting. And uh, what we try and do, if the next slide could come up, is just have a little bit of a focus to help us in our prayers each day. Uh, and what we now do, out since before Christmas, is we kind of administer this through life groups. So podcasts are a bit of a, a, bit of a popular theme amongst our church now. So each morning, if you're in a life group, you will get a little podcast from somebody in that life group helping you to pray along those lines. Something prophetic, a reflection, something from scripture, perhaps. And uh, they are really, really helpful. Really helpful. Just a little, little prompt four, five, six minutes to help us how to pray. If you're not in a life group, this is a great chance to do so, not least for, for this week, but also for this year. Life groups really for us at King's are the heart of where community is found. So if you'd like to get involved in this, and if you don't now, I think you will do by the end of this message, then I would love you to go and speak to our hospitality team at the Connect Desk afterwards. They can connect you in with different life groups, where they meet, with whom they meet. You can get onto the right WhatsApp group, and you can get those little reflections into your uh, inbox first thing on Monday morning. Monday is about, about centering ourselves on God, just simply just asking him to help us, to bless us, to center us on him for the week. We're not going to pray for anything as such, just going to look to him. Tuesday, you and your family, and then Tuesday evening, what we do every week of prayer and fasting, and once, twice, and three times a term as we gather together here, up in the gallery, to encounter Ah, interesting. You think I would know these sort of things. Uh, okay, well, uh, the, the information will come out through the podcast in the week, so you definitely got to get signed up. Either the Goddards or, the, or, the, or here at the Rose. And we will gather together, as we always do, in one of those two venues, and the priority really is to enjoy God. And last time, who was there last time at last time's encounter, even before Christmas? It was just a, such a super night. It really was. I know the pastor stands up and says these things, but it really was just the kind of thickness, if I can use that word, of the presence of God. It was something quite special. I felt people were learning how to pray in a, in a really wonderful way. And indeed, that was the evening at which God spoke to us that this year should be a year in which we learn how to pray. So those are the evenings in a special way where, where God kind of gathers his church and teaches us and shapes us and puts vision in front of us. They are not for the spiritual ones. Okay, prayer meetings and counter nights, they're for all of us to really press into God. So I would love to see you there, wherever there is. We'll try and get it confirmed by the end of the morning. It is the Goddess. Thank you, Mike. Okay, so you've definitely got to be subscribed to podcast stuff to get the information and the address for where that is. Wouldn't it be great to pack out their house, to burst out through their great big uh, kitchen and living room and to pray up a storm together? We'd love to see you there. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you can see the different themes of what we pray into. On the Friday, we'll pray not just for our nation, but for our nations. And to that end, I wanted just to give you something tangible to pray for because John, who's just come on staff with us as a pastor here at King's and is doing a wonderful job, part of his role is to keep our perspective fixed to the very ends of the earth. We're not just about Kingston or London or the UK, we're about nations because God is. And a week tomorrow, John's going to Egypt. So come and tell us, John, why you're going there and uh, how we can pray. And if there's a microphone for you, that would be great. 
Brilliant. So I will be going to Egypt. I'll be in Cairo from the 20th to 25th of January. And really, its purpose is, is a gathering of about 20 key leaders who are involved with New Frontiers work, working into the Middle East stroke Muslim majority world. So we have representatives working into Turkey, Pakistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Armenia, Le Iraq, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, you get a flavor of it. And the purpose of it's this. Firstly, it's just to hear stories of what's happening and what's going on, and kind of to celebrate with those who are working there. And what we find in this part of the world tends to be the good stories are even sweeter, and the bad stories are even more bitter and painful. Mm -hmm. But we get to hear some of those stories, mourn with those who are mourning, celebrate with those who are celebrating. We will get to pray, God, would you work? So we'll be spending lots of time praying. We'll spend time, and there's a group of 20 of us going, what lessons are we learning about working into Muslim-majority nations? How can we help and serve each other? How can we, in the coming season, bless each other? And then a fourth aspect of it would be going... God, where are you sending us and calling us to plant in the future? So which new countries uh, in the Middle Eastern world do you want us to enter into? So, yeah, if you could pray for me in that context, if you could pray for that meeting to be a success, because really it's got the opportunity to be a springboard, firstly to strengthen the work that's already going on, but also to go into new nations where the gospel yet is really not very much established. Okay? Brilliant. Super, super exciting. Super exciting. So there's already a tangible thing for you to pray into. One more thing I'd love you to pray into, if you're part of this church, is your, is your giving. One of the ways that we worship God so clear through Scripture is we worship Him with our finances, which what many of us do so generously and so regularly each month. We'd love you to consider what that looks like this year. One of the things I want you to consider giving to specifically is to be able to uh, effectively employ John. Now, we've made that decision. We're confident that the budget is in place. But I would love you to increase our giving so that that is definitively in place. So if you like, there's a faith gap at the moment that we're believing God for, that we can close in faith with increased financial giving in order that John can be what he is already, which is an enormous gift to us. He's already been a huge gift to me. He's a huge gift to our church. He's bringing a, a pastoring, shepherding, uh, gentle, wise, biblical, prayerful heart to the life of our church. And I would love us to ensure that that is a sustainable um, employment. So can you please pray about that if you're part of this church and consider what God would have you give and indeed how he would have you give and indeed how he would bless you as you do. Because he will. God has a remarkable history of blessing us as we trust him with radical, generous, cheerful giving. Okay, we're into Daniel 9. If you were here last week, and if you caught up on last week, you'll know we're in Daniel chapter 9, and we're asking the same question that we believe God told us to ask as a church before Christmas, which is, teach us how to pray. And boy, can Daniel teach us how to pray. And so we're in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1. And again, if you're a part of this church or you're just considering being a part of this church, we'd love you to catch up on last week if you haven't already because it's very much one message spread across two Sundays. Okay, so please, please catch up on last Sunday because it's quite a formative message for us, setting the vision, the focus for us to learn how to pray audaciously in 2020 and indeed in this decade. So do please catch up. Okay. Chapter 9, verse 1, 538 BC, the Babylonians have just been overtaken by the Medo-Persians. Daniel, after 70 years, is asking, well, what on earth's going to happen next? 
Verse 1. I'm going to read the whole passage to verse 23. So stick with me. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. In other words, a crisis drove Daniel to the Bible. That was point one last week. How do we learn how, do we learn how to pray this year? We learn to pray biblically. Daniel goes to the book of Jeremiah and it forms how he's about to pray. Verse three, then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Point two was we pray regularly. Daniel prays immediately. Why? Because we know from chapter six and verse 10, he prays three times a day. He's got a habit of regular prayer over 70 years. And so when crisis comes, he goes to scripture, not Twitter. And scripture drives him to pray and to pray regularly. And he prays like this. And boy, does he pray. I pray to the Lord my God and make confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. I didn't read all of this passage last week, but I'm going to read all of it this week. And he continues in this same vein. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed, against the, obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. He's referring to the events of 70 years ago when Israel was exiled from Jerusalem and has been in judgment ever since. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we haven't obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, you who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand that have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Are you getting the point? O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. So he prays biblically. He prays regularly. And as we're about to see, he's just prayed repentantly. And now he's about, to see, he's about to pray audaciously, as we said last week. 
Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. That's how to pray. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, slash angel, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So Daniel prays biblically and regularly and audaciously. And it's our heart, as we were talking about this more on Thursday evening as an eldership team, that we as a church would learn how to pray like this. That in simple terms, we would enjoy the gift of prayer more joyfully and wield the weapon of prayer more effectively. That is our heart and desire for this year. And God answers Daniel spectacularly. Extraordinarily, Darius or Cyrus, this new Medo-Persian king, decides to let the people of Israel go back to their homeland and actually supports them in doing so. God answers as he said he would, but also because Daniel prayed that he would. That's really important to see. Daniel prays God's word back to God, and God does what in some extraordinary way he would only have done because of the prayers of someone like Daniel. So he prays biblically, he prays regularly, and he prays audaciously. And also, as you could not miss there, surely, he prays repentantly. He prays repentantly. I touched on it very briefly last week, but I want to look more closely just at that one thing this morning. What it is to pray repentantly. This middle section, particularly, of Daniel's prayer. At which you all go, whoopee! So glad I came to church this morning. Now, Christian repentance has two forms, doesn't it? One form is the one maybe we know more about, certainly if we are a Christian. And that is, that it's the way in which we come into the family of God. So one form of repentance is that that is how we step through the doorway, if you like, into the family of God. It's like a two-doored doorway. And on one of the, one of the sides is repentance, and on one of the sides is faith. And faith says, I, I believe that Jesus died for me and rose for me. I put my trust in who he is and what he's done and how much he loves me. The other half of the door says, I'm grieved and I'm sorry for where I've turned from you, God, rebelled against you, God, harmed others. We open those two doorways of repentance and faith and we step into the family of God, not only to be saved, but to be adopted into his family as sons and heirs with full rights and privileges and eternal inheritance and life forever. And if you're not sure if you're a Christian or you say you weren't a Christian this morning, that is available for you this morning. You open one door of repentance, one door of faith in Jesus and his life and death and resurrection, and you step in to the family of God forever. The other form of Christian repentance is what we carry on doing as Christians. 
as we've stepped into God's family through that doorway of salvation, thanks to repentance and faith, there's another form of repentance, which is that which we're called to carry on doing as Christians, which maybe we don't talk about as much as we should. The reality is, if you are honest, and we were very honest with each other last week, weren't we? Which I hope to continue. We all, as Christians, pick up grime and dirt along the way, spiritually. All of us do. It doesn't affect who we are. We're justified, we're made righteous, we're adopted into the family, the the papers are signed and sealed. You and I, if you're a Christian this morning, you're a son and daughter of God. But it does, this spiritual grime and dirt, it does affect how we enjoy life within the home of God, if you like. It affects how we enjoy God. It affects our fruitfulness. Which is why, when Jesus was asked, how should we pray, one of the things he said was, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The idea being this is an ongoing thing. Just as you and I know that we're going to need to forgive people for the rest of our lives, so Jesus is saying we'll be asking God for forgiveness. It's an ongoing thing. He doesn't say, oh, what Daniel was doing was an old da- outdated Old Testament thing. Forget about that. It's done. He expects at the heart of the prayer that he taught us to be a life of ongoing repentance. The question is, how do we go about doing it? Because Christians have got themselves into some interesting tangles over the centuries when it's come to ongoing repentance. I want to suggest to you that Daniel and the whole of Scripture teaches us, surprise, surprise, three things. We repent prayerfully, along with biblically, regularly, and audaciously. We repent prayerfully like this, always securely, always honestly, and sometimes corporately. Always securely, always honestly, and sometimes corporately. And if you haven't guessed it already, this is going to be an opportunity for all of us to apply this and to let God speak to us this morning. Scripture says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Kindness. So if God is beginning to be at work, and he will be, if not already, shortly, stirring hearts, putting his fatherly hand on us to point things out in us, it's because he loves us, because his kindness is that way inclined. See, Daniel is secure in the goodness and love of God. Christian repentance works if you are secure. Look how Daniel started praying, verse 4. He didn't come in and say, oh Lord, me and my people, we're such wretched people. The first thing he said was, oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. That's how you want to start praying. He doesn't come in looking at himself. He comes in and he worships. Oh God, you are amazing. You're faithful. You love me. He grounds himself, he secures himself in the goodness and the grace and the faithfulness and the consistency and the love of God. doesn't start by repenting. Verse 7, he says, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. Verse 11, to the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. He knows God in simple terms. That's why our broader vision is to know God, be known and loved in the family of God, and to make God known. If you know God like Daniel, you can come to him in repentance like Daniel, completely Secure. Jump to the end of the passage when this extraordinary moment comes and the angel Gabriel appears to Daniel. Now, like, let's be honest here. If I was praying these kinds of prayers, like, God, would you basically come in and would you cause a world-changing event to mobilize your people? The kind of prayers that uh, Rachel was referring to about Australians praying for fires to change. If I was praying those kinds of big audacious prayers and the angel Gabriel came, 
I think I've, I've got a pretty good answer. Because Gabriel comes two other times in the Bible to tell people how Jesus is going to save the world. So if Gabriel comes when I finish praying, I'm like, right, we are getting somewhere. What is the plan? How are you going to bust us out of Babylon and get us back to Jerusalem? What's the plan? At least I would be. And what's the first thing Gabriel says to Daniel? God loves you. Isn't that interesting? I'm like, what's the plan? How's it going to work? 70 years? How are we going to get out back to Jerusalem? And the first thing God wants to say to Daniel, who's come to him in, in, in repentant prayer, is, I love you. That whole prayer is bookended by that. Daniel starts by saying, God, thank you that you love me and you're faithful and you're good. And it's finished by God saying, yeah, I do love you. You can repent if you're secure. I want you to forget that this morning. That is God's word over you. You're not trying to add anything. If you're a Christian, you're not trying to add anything to Jesus' work for you. You are simply reapplying his work for you. You see the difference? You're reapplying, tapping into what he has already established for you. And if you're secure, right, just in normal relationships, if you're secure, you can be honest with people, right? If you know that someone loves you, that they're for you, then you can be honest with them, yeah? You know that in relationships, in friendships, in marriages. If you know someone's absolutely for you, you can tell them anything. And equally, they can tell you anything about yourself and you can hear it. If you know they're for you, they're with you, they love you, they're loyal to you. And that, because Daniel's secure, he can be super, super honest. So we repent always securely. Number two, always honestly. Daniel is really honest. Give you some of the vocabulary that he uses. We have sinned. We have acted wickedly. We haven't listened to the prophets. We have rebelled and rejected you. Even when the exile happened, we still, verse 13, didn't turn from our iniquities and gain insight by your truth. Shame on us, he says. He didn't say, oh yeah, I just I had a few different difficult life choices to make and I probably chose the wrong option because of all these different pressures on my life. And he's just like, we have, we've rejected you. 70 years ago, we turned away from you. 70 years since, we're still not crying out to you and turning to you. He is super, super honest. And I put it to you, it's because he knows God. He knows God's love. He knows God's kindness. He knows God's faithfulness to his promises. And he also knows God's holiness. He also knows God's holiness. That, I think, is why he also repents honestly. He knows the kind of God that he's in front of. He knows that this God is white, hot, holy, and pure, and mighty. He knows that God is worthy of complete obedience and devotion and worship. Ultimately, God is either not true and not real... And to be discarded, if he is true and real and, 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 and entirely outside of time and space and everlasting and eternal, then he, he is worthy of complete uh, devotion and obedience. Daniel knows that. He knows it's incomprehensible that a white, hot, holy God could kind of just quietly turn a blind eye to evil and wickedness and idolatry and sin. And because of that, he's deeply grieved. Like, he's so grieved by the state of his people. Let me just illustrate this in a, not a silly way, but just a way I hope is, is helpful. Last, last week, after I'd finished preaching, I, I went over to see Caroline, uh, my wife, because she was like, now, off to one side with, with babies and so on. And, uh, and she did what she often is so good at doing, and she just leaned over to me, and she gave me a kiss, and she said, well done. That was a really good message that you preached. And as she was leaning over to me, she also said, you do smell. <laughs> I was like, oh. I, re- I really did. 
I'm here to tell you I stank at the end of last week's message. Really bad. Really, really bad. I could, there was no way of remotely denying it. Combination of, I love Aldi, their shopping, their food is great, the shower gel is terrible, just so you know. Combination of cheap shower gel and preaching in a jumper, not good. And the first thing I did when I got home is I jumped in the shower, I had a really good shower, and I put on a, I put some of her nice, fancy Nivea shower cream stuff that actually works, put on a clean t-shirt, and I felt great. And it was not unlike, I think, the kind of repentance that I'm trying to talk to you about. Because the first thing she did was she expressed the fact that she loves me, that she's for me. And then she told me that I smell. And God, I think, does that. He does that in this kind of passage here in some ways. Daniel knows God loves me because he prays at the beginning and God tells him it at the end. In between that, he knows he and his people stink. And that is the nature, I think, of God. Is we, we're so keen to hear God lean into us and say, you're amazing, I love you, I'm for you, and he does. What maybe we're less keen to hear is because his, if you like, aroma is absolutely perfect and transcendent, he, he, he sniffs the slightest whiff, if you like, in us. That's the nature of drawing close to a holy, holy God. And I had a choice when Caroline told me that I smelled. I could be like, how dare you? I had a choice. I could be offended. I could try and deny it. I could quickly go and grab some antiperspirant and just spray it on and try and sort of cover up for a bit. See, the analogy could go on for as long as you want. Or I could just be honest and go home and get some shower gel that works and have a proper shower and get clean. Takes a bit of time and effort and humility, but it is so much better. So we have, a, we have a choice. When God does lean in, as he might be doing this morning, and saying, I love you, that does smell. That aspect of your thinking. That way that you keep giving in to fear or to unbelief. Or the casualness with which you use your body. Or how you're treating your wife. When God leans in and says, that, that doesn't smell good. You've got a choice. You've got a choice right now. You can deny, you can be offended, or you can be honest. What is God talking to you about right now? Remember, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. If you're not a Christian here this morning, it is the kindness of God that doesn't just say, you're amazing and you're awesome. That's what our culture says to you. Just believe in yourself more. Inside you, there's a hero waiting to get out. You know that's not true. You know there's brokenness and the capacity at least, the wickedness inside you. The kind of God as he tells us who we are but doesn't leave us there. Draws us to forgiveness and wholeness and change and healing. One other thing about that story that I think is helpful analogy-wise is that the other reason that I smelt, not just because of the shower gel and the preaching a jumper, so watch out after this. The third reason was of the T-shirt I put on under my jumper. It's a T-shirt I've had for years. I really, really like it. And it was washed. I got it out of, the, out of my drawer. It had been washed. But I've had it for so long, and of late, I think, it's been dried damp a few times. I've had it for so long, and it's not been effectively washed and dried of late. It basically smells before you even put it on. 
And that actually, I think, without being overly like, analytical about my own personal hygiene with you, <laughs> that I think was the core of my issues, was this T-shirt just inherently smelt a bit from the beginning. So if you sweat a bit in it, it's terrible. And it's just, I think, interesting analogy because I think we do that in the Christian life. We just, we keep putting the same t-shirt back on again sometimes, convincing ourselves that it's washed and clean, and it's not. We take that t-shirt out, that habit, and we say, oh, it's just part of who I am. It's just the way I think. I look at porn. It's just who I am. Like, so does everybody else. I'm just really harsh on my wife sometimes. It's just how our relationship is. I don't, I don't tithe or give money to the church. Just, I haven't got enough. I, just don't, I don't do it. And you put that T-shirt on enough, it just becomes kind of normal and habitual. I, don't, I, I haven't forgiven my... I, had a, I, I, had, I felt God speak to me this morning, but the one thing I thought he did speak to me about, specifically, was there was somebody who hasn't forgiven their grandmother. That was about as much as I felt God say to me. There was somebody who just hasn't forgiven their grandmother for a long time. And that I'm giving you as a, something I think God is saying. The other things I think are, are examples. But we can just keep putting that T-shirt on, convincing ourselves, this is just who I am. That T-shirt's been in the drawer for years. It's just, I put it on, it's me. And God will say to you this morning, no, no, no. It's time to get rid of that T-shirt. Use a shower gel that works. Have a proper shower. Come to me in humility, in honesty, in repentance. And I will forgive. I will clean. That doesn't mean there aren't repercussions to confessing sin. We live in the real world. There might be people to, need people to talk to, people to work things through with. I'm not trying to over-sanitize what is a gritty process. I wonder what God is talking to you about this morning. And are you going to be honest with him, who already knows, with yourself, and potentially somebody else in the life of the church? Thirdly and finally, along with being secure and being honest, Daniel models to us corporate repentance. Did you notice that? He repents on behalf of the people. And initially I'm like, well, why? Daniel, you're an absolute hero. Seven decades of faithful, courageous, amazing living. He's one of the few characters in the Bible that we don't see the kind of murky, broken side of. But his language is not me and them. Did you notice that? His language is we, us, our he identifies himself with his people. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. One is, he knows that his identity as a member of the people of God is in some ways greater than his own personal identity. In post-enlightenment, post-postmodern, post-truth worlds, the individual is, is everything. How you feel and where you're going and how your life is working out is everything now. For Daniel, what was everything to him was how my people are doing how my spiritual family is. So for him, it's, it's we, it's us, it's our God. Have mercy on us. Not, well, I've been living fairly faithfully and with some degree of integrity. Her and him, it's corporate repentance. It's something we don't talk about very often at all. And rather than sort of foisting the blame for where our church might be, I said last week we were not just surviving anymore, we were healthy. Praise God and thank you to you. But I also said we weren't motoring yet. We weren't thriving yet. Got through surviving, thank you, Lord. Into healthy. What about thriving? 
And one of the things we pray for is we learn to pray this year, to pray for, for thriving, to pray for miracles, to pray for salvation, to pray for growth, to pray for reaching the hearts of brokenness and poverty in our town, in our city, in our nation. One of the things we pray for is we get into thriving and we start to cry out, God, would you do something with us you haven't done yet? And we don't pray. Well, with those people in the church are just a bit lukewarm. God, would you get hold of them? That's not how Daniel prays. He says, God, have mercy on us. Show us, us, how holy you are. Show us how pure you are. Show us how outraged it is that we should ever take you casually, given the depths of your holiness and your love. Is that how any of us pray? Well, let's pray like that this week. Let's pray like that on Tuesday. Let's pray for us, for we, for our. And as you do so, some of you say, I want community. That's how you get it. <laughs> or at least partly how you get it. When you pray for each other. When you come to those kinds of evenings. And even if you're not used to praying out loud, we work out different ways of praying. Individually, privately, out loud, corporately. And we pray with and for each other. And what is fascinating this week is that God is already beginning to answer our prayers to stir us for something audacious this year. Uh, Rachel, who shared so helpfully before, messaged in uh, this week to us as an eldership team with something prophetic that she asked us to consider at that evening, and I think it also has implications today. So this is just, I think, A, super encouraging that God is already speaking before I was even knowing exactly what I was going to say this morning. And Rachel was led to a passage in Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 5, which says, Prepare the way for the Lord and the highway for our God, and that is where the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Prepare the way for the Lord and the highway for our God, that is where the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And then she was led from that highway, kind of prophetic instinct, I think, and unction around that word highway into Isaiah 35, which says the highways of God are the ways of holiness. The highways of God are the ways of holiness. You put those two things together, what do you have? You have God saying to his church, through preparation and preaching, through the prophetic, I want to lead you onto highways of holiness this year. That's what the highways look like. They're defined by holiness, not by self-expression or individual identity or by getting the type of church I would like. They're defined by a pursuit, a radical pursuit of holiness. And they end up in seeing the glory of God. That's the promise. But that might involve changing highways. Well, you know, we as elders, elders team, we were doing this on Thursday, just praying over it, chewing over it. Let God show us where our hearts need to change. Show us where our highways need to deviate. And we felt also it was for us as a church this morning. And you can see it kind of ties in in quite a remarkable way. What highway are you on? And would you describe it as a highway of holiness? Not, it's, not that it's perfect, but that it's defined by a pursuit of holiness and a seriousness about sin. And where there is a proclivity to gossip and speak ill of each other in the life of the church, God wants to put his finger on that this, this, this morning and say, that smells. It doesn't smell good. And lead you to repentance and forgiveness and put you on a highway that if we do it corporately, leads us towards seeing something of the glory of God. Like, who wants that? Who wants to see the majesty of God in the life of the church? Who wants audacious prayers to be answered? 
Who wants church plants to kick off in Egypt because prayers were, were answered? Who wants things happening in Australia to change because prayers were answered? Who wants uh, illnesses and diseases to be healed after years because prayers were answered? Who wants their neighbor they've been praying for and talking with for months and years to, to come to faith in Christ and be baptized? Anybody else apart from me? Good. Well, the way God is saying, actually, is not just pray more. He's saying this morning, I want you to pray repentantly. And the question is, will you? <laughs> final, final point as we just think about closing with a great song that Ross has chosen and a time of ministry is Isaiah 6 is the, is the best place that I would go if I was you to think around a highway of holiness. If you don't know that passage, it is profound. It is terrifying. It is otherworldly. And it is beautiful. Isaiah, who like Daniel, was a pretty remarkable man of God. He sees an image of God, some kind of vision. And he doesn't see a cuddly Father Christmas leaning down to him saying, you're, you're great. He sees this vision of God on a throne which caused him to fall flat on his face and say, in, in simple terms, please don't kill me. I am so sinful. That's basically what he says. And then he sees these angels, a bit like Gabriel perhaps in Daniel 6. They're called seraphim. And they have three pairs of wings. This is Isaiah 6. You read it for yourself. One pair covers their feet. And one pair of the wings covers their eyes. And what we're told they're singing is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the only inference we can take from why on earth they'd have a pair of wings to cover their eyes is because they dare not look on the glory and the holiness of God. And these are angels that do remarkable stuff like supernatural, terrifying beings. And God's designed them with the means of protecting their very selves from the beauty and the wonder and the holiness and the glory of God. And all they're singing over and over and over again, right now and one day forever, if you step into salvation through faith and repentance, is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And that God who says about you, I love you, I'm for you, has put his finger this morning on various things for some of us. And he's saying, will you change highways? Can we stand, please? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And you can... Respond as you wish to. Um, who is prayer coordinating this morning? I'm sorry, I didn't find that out either. Anna and Lynn, thank you. If you could join uh, Jason out here. Anybody else that just feels they'd love to pray for people this morning? Is there a bit of anybody thinks I've just got a bit of faith to pray for people, for sickness, for healing? Come and join these guys out the front in a moment. Thank you, Becca. The different ways to respond. Grab the person next to you. Come and get some prayer here. You can literally change highways by doing some physical walking. That can help ground the response. Lord God, thank you that the first thing you say to Daniel and the last thing you say to Daniel is you are greatly loved. Thank you that is the good news of Christianity. There is a God and he loves us. He's for us. 
and he is remarkably holy, white hot. We say this morning, God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty, the very thing you've already been saying for us this morning, you're almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Please help us to respond to you. I pray for faith and humbleness to rise, to be honest. I pray for sin and addiction to be left behind this morning. I pray for lies to be put to one side and truth to be believed. I pray for many to get onto a new highway of holiness. In order, Lord, that your glory might come. We say like Moses, show us your glory. And you're saying, here's the highway to it. So would you help us respond in faith, I pray. We love you, Lord. We want to see your glory. Amen.